changes everything. That changes how we see ourselves. That changes how we see each other, how we see other people. It changes how we approach the big questions in life of who we are, why we are here, where we're going to spend eternity. And it's so easy this time of year as we come together. It's so easy just to concentrate on on those birth stories that we read in the Gospels, to go back to the manger, to go back to the wise men and the shepherds, to the star and the angels. But when we bring Christ to the center of our lives, we see Him at the center of everything. And so today I want to take you to a passage that we don't often think of as a Christmas passage, but it is. You'll find it in Titus chapter 2. If you're using the Bibles that we've provided for you there in the pews, it's on page 998. You need to get there. I find it fascinating as I read this letter. Paul is writing to his friend Titus, and Titus is a, is a young preacher, and he's having problems in his church. Titus's church is on the island of Crete, and the people who attend his church are Cretans. That's where that comes from. And they lived up to that name in a lot of ways. And so as Paul tells Titus about how to help his church, one of the first places he takes him to is the Christmas story, to the gift of God's love. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. For Paul, every answer, the answer to every issue that Titus and his church were facing began in Bethlehem. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. And that word that he uses for appeared is where we get the word epiphany. And epiphany is one of those words that we use for this season. Epiphany specifically We use it to refer to the coming of the Magi, to the three wise men who come and see Jesus and they bring bring their gifts. Paul uses it to remind us that it's not just about the season. It's not just about the gifts. It's not just about the lights or the packages or the songs. It's about the good news that changes everything, the good news that changes us, the gift that we have from God's grace and what that gift has given And so as Paul lays it out to Titus, he lays out three gifts that you and I have received through God's grace. Three gifts that are ours and that we find at the heart of Christmas. Three gifts of grace that change everything. For the grace of God has appeared. And when it appears in your life, you will find with it the gift of preparation. Preparation for an eternity with God. 
Now, preparation is something that a lot of us think about this time of year. Some of you are really good at being prepared for Christmas. Some of you got out there early and got your shopping done. Some of you didn't. Some of you got out there early. Maybe you were out there on Black Friday and you got your shopping done. You got, you got everything. You had your list. Maybe some of you have been working online and getting your, getting your shopping all done. Uh, but you, you're done. You've probably even got them wrapped. They're not even just laying around. They're wrapped. They're ready to go. You guys are models of preparation. The rest of us are thinking of a different kind of preparation. Preparation H. Because the whole shopping thing is a pain. It, it's a pain. Let's just say it's a pain. So the preparation that Paul is talking about here is something greater than just preparing for the season or preparing for the holiday. He's talking about being prepared for eternity. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, he tells us. Salvation through grace. It is a gift. We understand that, right? Because I've been hammering that home week after week as we've been going through Romans. It is a gift from God. We don't earn it by being good. But what does the grace of God do? He tells us in verse 12, it trains us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It trains us, it equips us to be able to say no to sin and to live godly lives. Now, why does it do that? Why does the, the grace of God train us to live godly lives? Why are we called to live lives uh, that are holy if good behavior doesn't actually save us? If we're not saved by being good, then why bother being good, right? Sometimes I wonder about that. There's a couple of points and first, I want to take you back to Romans because we haven't been in Romans nearly enough yet. We've been there a lot lately. But if you remember from Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, Paul said, For the wrath of God is revealed. I want you to think about that alongside Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God has appeared. And on the other side of that, For the wrath of God is has been revealed. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God revealed against unrighteousness, against ungodliness. The grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness. What it shows us is there are certain behaviors that are inconsistent with someone desiring to live in the presence of God. And the ungodly things that we do, when we do those things that are ungodly, and sometimes we do, they suppress the truth. They suppress the truth about who you are. They suppress the truth about who you belong to because people can't see Christ through those things. They can't see God's grace in our lives. But for me, the most amazing realization is it's training. He says it's training, and I want you to think about that. What does that mean, that it is training? You know, you, when you train for something, you always train for something that's going to come later. So if you're training for a job, you're training for something that you're going to be doing later. You have athletes who train for races or, or train for some Olympic event, and, and they spend hours practicing and, and 
knowing every step they're going to take. They are training for that race. You train for a job. Soldiers train for war. Now, I've never been a soldier, and I've never gone to war, but I'm pretty sure that there is never a point in any war where a bunch of soldiers get together, and they line up, and they carry a log on their head. You know, I, I don't think we do it that way. But when they're in training, they've got to train to work together, to step together. They've got to train stamina. They've got to train to work as a team. So they will do certain things in training for when the event comes later, they're able to perform their duties. He says, we're training. It trains us to renounce ungodliness. It's training us because something else is coming later. What's coming later? Eternity with God. Eternity in his presence. And so the lives that we live today in this present age are preparing us for an eternity with God. And that's a wonderful gift because we cannot get there on our own. We need his presence and we need his grace to get us there. It also gives us another gift that comes through, through this life that we live. And that is the gift of anticipation. Anticipation for the return of Christ. We do live in a very unique period in history. You guys probably don't notice this because we live for a very short time in this unique period. But the last 2,000 years have been unlike every other period in time. We live in between. We live in between the first coming of Christ when everything changed. And we live between that, Christmas, and the second coming of Christ, which was, was that a year ago yesterday? Is that when that was supposed to have happened? Yeah. 2012? I don't remember exactly if it did or not, but we, we don't know when that other part is, but we live, the last 2,000 years have been unlike every other period in history. We live in between. And Paul expresses this life of anticipation, this life of expectation, in verse 13, he says that we are waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This preparation that we live in, in this present age, because we live in preparation, because we, we strive to live godly lives, it enables us to live in anticipation for the life to come, the age to come. Paul expresses it this way. We wait for our blessed hope. That's a great, that's a great expression, I think, of, of the return of Christ. We wait for the blessed hope. Do you remember Romans chapter 5? In, in Romans chapter 5, verse 2, Paul said, through him, that is through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he goes on in, in chapter 5, and, and he says in verse 3, more than that, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint us. This is also why Paul says in another passage, we do not grieve 
like the rest of men who have no hope. He doesn't say that we don't grieve. We grieve. We grieve those that we've lost. We grieve those that go, beyond, that go before us. But we don't grieve as though we're never going to see them again. We grieve. We do not grieve as those who have no hope because we have hope. Do you remember what it was like when you were a kid? Some of you are still kids. Some of you still act like kids. But do you remember what it was like? Right before Christmas? You had like a week to go till Christmas and you just can't wait until Christmas? And it seemed like that was the longest week of the year and you waited and you counted the days you checked them off on the calendar you waited <clears throat> i had this plan when i was a kid that because you go to sleep right and so you go to sleep and and it's like when you wake up the day had just completely passed you know or this whole long period of hours had passed so i tried to sleep all the more i could you know which didn't work because you end up getting earlier up getting up earlier and the day goes longer but have you heard the way kids express it kids don't say three more days until Christmas. What do they say? Three more sleeps until Christmas. You heard them say that? Three more sleeps. Why do they say that? Because days are long. Days can be boring. I mean, how many times can you watch that Grinch? How many times can you, can you watch those specials over and over again? And you, know, you do this and you do that, but days just seem to drag on. Days are filled with waiting, but sleeps, sleeps, pass quickly. Sleeps pass in an instant. You barely notice them. How many more sleeps until heaven? How many more sleeps until Jesus comes? We have the gift of anticipation. The reason we have hope, the reason we live in anticipation is due to another gift that God's grace has brought us. It's not just about preparation. And it's not just about anticipation, it's about redemption through the gift of Jesus Christ. He finally brings it down to this for us. The grace of God has appeared. God sent his son, he sent Jesus as a baby. But when that grace finally appeared in our lives, it trains us to live the next life. It trains us to let go of the things of this world, the things that hold us back, the things that keep us from God. And the product of that is not just that we live better lives, we live cleaner lives, we live more holy lives. The product is anticipation because now we're living for something that's yet to come. We're training for something that's not here yet, for the return of Jesus Christ, who is the one who gave himself for us. In verse 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And again, we've heard this before. If you went back to Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redeem. Redeem means to buy back. If you go to a store, if a store gives you a coupon, that coupon is worth something, right? You take that coupon in to the store and you redeem that coupon. And what they do when you redeem that coupon, the store buys it back from you 
by trading you what that coupon is worth, right? You follow me? Follow me? Nod. Make sure I'm, okay, we're all on the same page. We all understand how coupons work. You don't? Okay, we'll explain later. So the store buys back the coupon for what that coupon's worth. So if that coupon is for a gallon of milk, you're going to get a loaf of bread. No, you're going to get a gallon of milk for a coupon that's worth a gallon of milk. If the coupon is for a loaf of bread, you're going to get a loaf of bread. You're going to get exactly what that coupon is worth, okay? God redeemed us through the death of his son on the cross. God bought us back through the death of his son. And we cost him exactly what we were worth. God did not get you on sale. This was not a Black Friday sale. This was not an after Christmas thing. God didn't get a two-for-one deal for you, Susie. God got you for exactly what you were worth. It wasn't, you know, end of year clearance, all sinners must go. You know, it wasn't anything like that. God got you for exactly what you were worth. And what were you worth? You were worth the life of his son. You were worth Jesus. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you would not perish, but you would have hope. You would have everlasting life. See, this, this isn't just about you and me. This isn't just about us receiving the gift of salvation. This is about God giving himself a gift. And the gift that God gave himself is you. God wanted you so badly that he gave his son. It's not just that we get to go to heaven. It's not just that our sins are forgiven, although that's wonderful. It's not just that we have peace with God, but he gets us. Look at verse 14 again. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all, un from all lawlessness and to purify for himself. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. That is the essence of the good news, not just for you and me, but the good news for God. All he wants for Christmas is you. And I love how this ends. It's not just that he purifies us for himself, but what kind of people are we? He says we are people who are zealous for good works. If you're reading from the NIV, it says the people who are eager to do what is good. It's not because good works are going to save you because he's already covered that in verse 11. It's because you love doing good things for other people. It's because you love doing good. You crave it. And the more you do good, the more good you want to do, the more you enjoy it, the more you, you love doing good for people, the more you love doing good for others, the, the more you do, the more you want to do. And that is a sure sign that you're God's people. And I've said this before, but that is one of the things that I've always known about this church. You guys love doing good. We don't have to chide you. We don't have to trick you into doing something nice for other people. We don't have to shame you into it. You love doing good for other people. And all we have to do is provide you opportunities, whether that's 
around Christmas where we say, hey, we're going to do Operation Christmas Child again this year, and we want to see this many boxes, and all of a sudden boxes start coming in. Whether it's a, a missions event that we're doing where we're helping out some mission that we support, and Paul and Joy announced that we're going to get we're going to buy deodorant for prisoners, and all of a sudden there is more deodorant in this church than I've ever seen in my entire life. And You know, we, we, the things that we do, because you love doing those things, or whether it's an immediate and desperate need in our community where suddenly we say somebody has this need and we've got to do something about it, and you guys just start helping out. I mean, we can, we can do that, and, and by the end of the service, we usually have most of those kind of needs covered. It tells me that you're eager, that you're zealous, for good works. But more than that, it tells me who you belong to. And so we come to the table. And we take the bread. And we drink from the cup. And very often when we do that, it's a reminder of our own sin. It's a reminder to ourselves that we are broken. That Jesus shed his blood to save us. But today I want you to consider something else. God didn't just do this because you needed saving. God didn't just do this for you. He didn't just do this for me. He did this for him. He did this for himself. Because he wanted us that badly. This was the only way he could buy us back. And in buying us back, he gave those good works that we do new meaning because now we're not just doing good works because we're zealous to do them we're doing good works that have eternal significance in people's lives they point other people to the blessed hope that we share in just a few moments i'm going to have the guys come as we sing this next song we're going to partake together we're going to, to pray together and we're going to remind ourselves again of the blessing that we have through our lord our savior let's pray